It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. The other side of midnight presents the Midnight Files. It's no secret that there have been many UFO sightings around the world and in this country. And for the better part of a half century, there is a group, a nonprofit organization composed entirely almost of civilian volunteers who study reported UFO sightings. It is one of the oldest largest and I would venture to say most reputable organizations of its kind. And we learned recently that they were actually the the integral force behind getting those congressional UAP hearings. They have more than 4,000 members nationwide, excuse me, more than more 4,000 members worldwide with chapters and representatives in more than 43 countries and all 50 states. Very pleased to be joined by the state director of Southern California, MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network. He is a MUFON star team member as well as an executive committee member of MUFON's Experiencer Resource Team. He's been featured on Ancient Aliens. He's been featured in the documentary, I Want to Believe. He's been featured in the MUFON documentary, which we chronicled at the time it came out. MUFON and UFOs, the proof is out there. Very pleased to welcome Earl Gray Anderson. Earl, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Thank you, Frank. It's good to be on with you guys. Uh, the pleasure is all ours, uh, Earl. Tell folks how you developed an interest in this stuff. I, I know your background is primarily as a musician, right? So how does that lead to yes. hunting for aliens? Well, let's see if I can make a long story really short. Um, my mom back – now, I'm, I'm, I'm turning 65 next month, so I'm not a young Turk anymore. Congratulations. You know? Well, 65 thank is you, young. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, I, I wondered how I would, you know, deal with the Beatles song when I'm 64, <laughs> when I hit that magic age. And actually, I kind of embraced it. It seems to be my favorite song. I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do after next month, you know. <laughs> I don't think there's any songs about being 65. But um, back when I was five years old, uh, we were living in Venice, California, myself and my, my family, my mom and my dad. 
And it was no secret to my family that my mom had worked for Howard Hughes. She was one of Hughes's private secretaries over at his old Sepulveda um, Hughes aircraft facility here in Los Angeles. Um, but my mom, you know, I'll never forget. And I have a very, very good memory. I mean, I remember stuff that I probably shouldn't remember. But uh, it just some of us seem to have a propensity for that. Um, but, you know, I went into our bright yellow cheery kitchen <laughs> uh, and, and mom was making breakfast and she sits down and she starts talking to me. But it was a weird conversation. She was talking to me almost like she was talking with another adult. And she, she was telling me about how that, well, you know, when I used to work for Hughes Aircraft, um, your mom had a really strange job there. And she went on to tell me about how they, she went with a security detail uh, out to the middle of the Great American Desert. She didn't say which, she didn't specify, and I could never get that out of her. I've got hints. But she said that they took her out to the middle of nowhere with a little security detail, and that there was this, a shack, like a bunker that was there. Nothing else around. It was just, you know, just just sand and and uh, cacti and and uh, this bunker. So she she wondered, you know, why they took her out to the middle of nowhere to, you know, look at what a tractor or tools. I mean, it didn't look like it was much. Um, but anyway, they opened this thing up. It was quite secured. It was all locked up, and um, there was an elevator that was in the back of this bunker. And my mom said that they got into the elevator. They they did not give her any warning of where she was going. And I, I, I suppose it was just to see how she would react under pressure or extraordinary circumstance. Um, she said that they got in the elevator and that it kept going down. She thought that it was going to go down a floor or two. And she said that she was getting butterflies in her stomach. Um, now, when the elevator finally came to a stop, and it was apparently quite you know, quite a, a drop. Uh, she said that the doors opened up and there was this little city under the desert that there were rocket scientists that were working, uh, working there. Uh, some that we had acquired, uh, from project, uh, paperclip at the end of the second world war. Um, and she said that they would get around in golf carts. She said it was like a little city down there. That they had, uh, you know, she had a guy that could do her hair there, that there was a barber shop, but the guy could also perm her hair for her. Uh, that they had a movie theater, uh, a bowling alley, little cafes and things like that. So, you know, my mom was telling me this weird story, and then she kind of adds this, this little addendum at the end of the story. Oh, and by the way... Um, there was a great interest in UFOs, uh, the, you know, the, the whole UFO thing and the idea of, of, of life out in outer space is a real thing, son. And that was the end of the conversation. Um, and I kind of grew up with that little bit of knowledge, uh, always in the back of my mind. Um, you know, she would bring it up once in a while with her sister when my aunt would come out to visit but it would always be kind of hush-hush and, you know, behind closed doors mostly. Um, but uh, as the years went by, well, I took my mom to see the movie Star Wars when it came out. And for some reason, she got talking again. I was maybe, I think I was about 17, 18, 19, 19 years old. It was 1977. 
Um, and, and when the film finished, my mom started talking again all those years later. And she said, son, you have no idea how close to the truth that movie is, the different beings, the, the spaceships and all that. Um, it's realer than you will ever know. And that phrase kind of stuck with me because it was kind of like, well, I want to know, you know. Um, and, and you know, at, at, at one point when I was about 10 years old, I, I actually went and did like a little show and tell in front of my class. And, and, and I told my mom's story. And, uh, you know, I got a lecture from my mom. I, the, the teacher did a parent-teacher conference after that with my mom. And, uh, you know, that was when she told me, she said, son, how did you remember that? You were just a baby when I told you that. You know, I told you that because I didn't think that you would remember. She said, your mom's not supposed to talk about this to anybody, and you can't talk about it. You can't ever talk about it again because your mom could get in trouble. Your mom could go to prison. Um, so um, that was really kind of the flashpoint in my life um, from a very early age. I, I had this knowledge. It, it wasn't fleshed out in any way. It was just that, you know, that we had these this great interest in the government about this thing that was supposedly not real. Because, <laughs> you know, all the scientists, they'd come on TV and they would they would sort of, you know, it was the ridicule factor is the way that I think that they've, you know, used that since the 1950s. Yeah, now that's really interesting. Interest. So based on... With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYC. In that conversation or that series of conversations with your mother, what's your belief about what Howard Hughes's involvement was with UFOs, with alien technology, or anything resembling any of that sort of work? Well, I think he was one of the first private contractors. Now, we know that he had a, an interest in what was going on, the, the contactee movement, which was happening in Joshua Tree. Um, and, and, you know, he would take a private plane out there, and, and, uh, and, and, and he knew everybody that was involved with, with that group. But I think that the the other thing, you know, my mom, whenever Werner von Braun would come on, like Walt Disney a wonderful world of color or something. Uh, she would go, oh, there's my friend Werner. I, I used to work with Werner, and she'd say, well, he's, you know, he's he's a charming man and very, very smart. And, and when I got older, you know, I kind of put it to mom, like, well, wasn't he a Nazi? I mean, he can't be that nice of a guy. And that got her talking a little bit more. You know, she said, well, no, he just wanted to go to, to the moon. He wanted to go to outer space. And they, they kind of forced him in Germany to do that stuff. You know, he came up with a V-2 rockets that bombarded uh, Britain and um, caused a whole lot of damage and, and, and loss of life. But uh, apparently my mom knew him as well. Wow. So, uh, yeah, I know. I mean, I, it was just it was just very weird. And it, 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 I kind of, you know, other than that, you know, mom, as, as time went on, like back in the mid-1970s, 
she went back to work as a as a private uh, headhunter for various aerospace companies. And I think because she had the security clearances all, you know, lined up, they tend to keep people in once they know certain things. You know, it means that they they don't have to tell other people quite as much. Uh, but I think my mom was sort of in a unique position because nowadays they'll compartmentalize everything. Nobody has the whole story. Sure. You know, no, that's uh, that's really, uh, really interesting. All right. Um, you you mentioned Howard Hughes's involvement with the contactee movement. Uh, let's talk about your work with experiencers uh, for people that are unfamiliar with the term. What is an experiencer as it relates to UFOs? An experiencer is somebody that has had contact with the beings that are flying the UFOs. Um, you know, some believe that it's an interdimensional uh, phenomenon. Other people believe that they're astronauts from other planets. Uh, some think that they're us from the future. They're using time machines to come and visit us. Um, I think it could possibly be all the above, maybe. Uh, I don't think that this phenomena is all one thing, but uh, I do think that it's been here since time immemorable. Uh, I kind of agree with ancient aliens on that, that I think that back in antiquity, they would see something strange in the sky and they would call it a god or, you know, it it, it, it would, or they would uh, come up with fanciful uh, winged chariots or, or winged uh, winged shields is what you'd see in in, in Italy and in Rome, but uh, the, this phenomena has always been with us, and uh, I think that, that what we're experiencing now is just it's it's the the face that it's presenting to us at, at this point in our evolution and where we're at. So I think that Howard Hughes knew a lot about this. I think that he was, well, he was one of the earliest private contractors. Uh, I do know that he had one of the early, he had the earliest privately owned uh, lab at Area 51. Uh, Richard Souter found out that for me. He's, uh, Richard writes primarily about underground bases, not so much about UFOs and stuff. But uh, I talked with him about that and he said, well, your mom could have been working at Area 51. Uh, because Hughes did have a lab there. I wonder what <laughs> became of Hughes' work after he passed. I really don't know. You know, I mean, this has been, I, you know, it's funny. I, I Some people think of me as somebody who's searching for aliens, but, but I'm, so, I, I'm searching for my mom as well. And, mm. and I'm really interested. I, I really would like to know what, you know, part Hughes played in all this. But, you know, people who have had face-to-face encounters with E.T., uh, it changes a person. And there's really no place for you to turn when this happens to you. Um, I've got uh, scientists. I, I have a TSA agent who's been through this, uh, pilots, uh, PhDs, and then, you know, just this people that are just people, you know, the person behind the cash register. Um you know, we see certain markers from case to case, like bloodlines seem to be important. Uh, if the family has a military background or, or that uh, experiencer themselves has a, a military background, that seems to be of interest to our visitors. But uh, the face-to-face thing, I think, is, 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 is really the gist of why they're here. I, I, I don't think they're just here to do air shows. 
for us. As far as you've, uh, as far as you're concerned, with the evidence that you've seen and and the people that you've interviewed that have had experiencers, and if people are just tra- tuning in, we're talking with uh, Earl Gray Anderson from MUFON. You can learn more about MUFON at uh, M-U-F-O-N dot com. There's no doubt in your mind that these experiences, these encounters are genuine and real. Uh, I've, I've had a, an experience myself, actually. My, my wife and I had what we call our weird week, where one night I had an experience. Uh, it just, uh, I, I guess I asked for it. <laughs> I, I'd been trying this thing called a CE5 meditation, and, and uh, a lot of people do that to, to just see like a light in the sky or a craft, but I had a specific thing I wanted. I wanted to meet the pilots. I, I wanted to meet the ETs. So I, I was pretty naive. I would kind of joined MUFON, I think, five or six months before that. Um, and, and I was trying this for a couple of weeks, just sending that thought out that, you know, I want to meet you. You can abduct me if you want. And I would, I would, I, I would caution anybody out there listening that that's probably something you don't want to say if you're going to do this because it worked and it worked a little too well. Um, first night I had, I, I actually met beings. Uh, I was paralyzed. I couldn't move. It was sort of one of those proverbial, uh, encounters that you read about. Um, my wife thought that I had gone nuts. She thought that I'd had a mental breakdown of some sort. Then two nights later, she's waking, she's shaking me awake. Same thing. Again, our, our, our room was flooded with light. It, it did not have a source. Uh, and and she was distraught, and I've I've never really seen my wife distraught before or since. Um, she was just kind of pacing by the bed, and you know it was like, my God, Earl, you know, you need to tell your little friends they need to leave us the eh, alone. I know we're on the radio, so I'm not I'm not going to use the word. Um, she said, I didn't sign up for this, my God. And but then two nights after that, again, our room flooded with this anomalous bluish light. Uh, neither of us were paralyzed this time. Uh, we were able to run to the window. We were up on a second floor, uh, second floor bedroom and we lived in Burbank, California. Uh, my wife works in the studio systems here. Uh, so it wasn't like some rural area. Uh, and I don't think that everybody in the city could see what was going on. So I think that it was probably a dimensional portal that they opened up in our home. Um, I think that they're able to show themselves to who they want to see, uh, what they can do, and, and other people are just kind of blind to it. Uh, but we went through this, and it made it personal. Uh, and after that happened, I, I spoke with my state director at the time uh, at MUFON, and kind of a nuts and bolts guy, wonderful mentor, still you know one of my closest friends, Jeff Krause. Uh, but he he did not want to hear that his field investigator had met aliens. You know, it was it seemed it it, it was just not what he wanted to hear. Uh, he he was very kind of uh, you know critical thinking about everything, and and so am I. I mean that's why I think it would just kind of bowl him over that I even said this to him. Um, I kind of kept this information to myself. Uh, when I would have a new field investigator for MUFON I was training, I would sometimes tell them this what happened to me. I would say, just, this is what happened to me. 
just be aware, you know, I felt like I owed them a little caveat, a little, you know, <laughs> just be aware of this, the small print that, you know, if you poke at the phenomena, be careful, it, it may poke back, you know, and, uh, but uh, I, I finally, I met Kathleen Martin, who started up the experience or resource team at MUFON. She's the niece of Betty and Barney Hill. And uh, it was, was the first really well-known abduction case that happened like 1961, I think, 61. And uh, I told her about what had happened with me, and, and she was just very, very helpful. She was a non-judgmental listener. And she listened to me and, 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 and saw the emotion that I had and the confusion and just was really, really helpful. I mean, she was able to tell me a bit that, you know, there were other cases that were like mine, that there was this renegade group of the gray aliens that seemed to be doing their own thing and that she felt that uh, I had encountered those guys, probably because I didn't. You know, it, I sent this message out and kind of invited anybody in. I mean, they say never open the door up to a vampire, right? Uh, you know, that I'm, is wild. Uh, <laughs> Earl, um, I got to run. We're out of time, but uh, you're just a great oh. storyteller. And I'd love to have you back sometime soon and we can continue the uh, discussion. I'd love to hear about the commonalities sure. between other experiencers that you've interviewed. Thank you for the time this morning. Thank you, Frank. Thank you. Come back. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight.